Um, well, here's the kind of the rundown of what Apple's done. They've just released uh, the information about the new iPhone. And they do things like this to suck all of us in into wanting one and getting one and, uh, and needing one. Um, Apple's great at not only just making us wait, but making us love the wait and making us like 100% gung-ho about the wait. And we don't mind waiting on the iPhone. Here, here's how the whole event went down. A month ago, they released this image. Can you pull up that image? After like a year of contemplation, speculation about what it's going to be, when it's going to come out, uh, how different will it be, then they released this um, about a month ago. It's almost here, 12. You can see the little 5 there. So everybody's like, oh, the 5. They're going to tell me about it on the 12th of September. And then the 12th runs around and they make this video and they show you that video that I just showed you. And everybody gets all excited about it. And then they say, all right, well, this Friday you can go pre-order your phone on the 14th starting at 8 o'clock in the morning on these stores or 3 a.m. online. And so then everybody goes and does that. And then they're like, well, the next week, next Friday, you can buy it. And so they build this great anticipation. And it's all about us waiting, waiting on them. And we're happy to do it. Um, even if we waited at 7.30 in front of the Verizon store and they opened at 8 and you were the first one in line up to the, the register and then they tell you that you can't pre-order your iPhones because your contract doesn't run out till next month or next week. Anybody? Was that just me? Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that was kind of lame. Um, and then it's going to go down next, sat next Friday, this, this week. And people are going to walk out, millions of these phones, and they're going to be satisfied, and they're going to do awesome things that they just showed you and more. And then the hoopla dies down until the smaller iPad comes out, or the next iMac comes out with a touch screen, or the iPhone 6 comes out in like four months. So it's, la it's a lather, rinse, repeat kind of thing with Apple. And what makes them stand out is when they put out this product, it's not going to be like ho-hum. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be phenomenal. And they're going to build this up, and then they're going to deliver on it, right? Um, and the weight we're fine with. Now, the issue and why I want to bring this up today is because we're going to look at the first church as we keep going in the book of Acts in our study in Acts. We're going to look at the first church that had to stop and wait. And usually when we wait, it's excruciating. It's great to wait on the iPhone, but why is it kind of painful to wait on Jesus? Why does it seem so excruciating at times to wait? If, uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a study on the book of Acts. We're going to go through as long as it takes us. Um, there are notes here. Um, if you didn't get a, a note sheet and you want one, just raise your hand. We want you to be able to follow along. They're real simple notes today. There are notes over there. Anybody need some? And if you happen to have your iPhone with a QR reader on it or some other smartphone, which why would you want some other smartphone, you can scan the, the image in the top left corner and get the expanded um, outline of the sermon today and kind of follow along. There's some more things in there that you can look through later that we won't cover. So to recap last week, we went through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And here's kind of what happened. 
Jesus disappears. Okay, that kind of is it, right? I mean, kind of disappeared. He told he 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 had been crucified, resurrected from the dead, came back and hung out with his disciples for a little bit, and then he says, "All right, I'm leaving." But in a little bit, somebody's going to come and it's going to help you. I'm going to send you a helper. And they're all just kind of like, all right. What does he mean he's leaving? And then he leaves. And he like blasts off in the outer space. The Bible tells us that he ascends into heaven. And they're just left there staring up, gazing into the sky, not really knowing what's going on. Not, they're wondering what was going to happen next. Where did he go? When is he coming back? Why didn't I go with him? What do we do now? You ever had to get used to something in a different way? Like, you've done X, Y, Z the same way your entire life, and then you have to get used to it another way. Like, thumbs are highly overrated, I mean, highly underrated. Like, when you have to get used to doing things left-handed because you tore your thumb open with a screwdriver, and it's your favorite thumb, it's your right thumb, and you have to get used to doing things with your left thumb and your left hand, it's hard to, like, wait on that and to heal up and do something in a different way. And it did. It was really weird. It was like this little change purse. You could, like, fold it open, and if you had coins that small, you could put them in there. And it was hard. And so here's what the disciples have. They spent their entire faith with Jesus. It was just Jesus from the time they started to right now, they had Jesus the whole time. Jesus in the flesh, side by side, walking with him, him physically feeding them, teaching them, hugging them, loving on them. He was there the whole time. And now, Acts chapter 1, he says, I'm leaving now. It's time for me to go. Wait. I'm sending someone else. Okay? That's where they're at. Okay? So if you look at the first blank, it says, are you willing to wait on God? Are you willing to wait on God? We're going to kind of analyze briefly this morning the two things that they did. And the first thing that, the, that those disciples, I'm going to call them, I might call them the church, the first church, the first Christians. Either way, they were the first batch of people after the gospel came through. Okay? So that's why I probably would call them the first church because they were. They waited. Are you willing to wait on God? Let's read through. Um, if you got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 1. And I'll read through chapter, or verses 12 through 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were... Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the other Judas, not that Judas, son of James, that's 11, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. All right, go back to the notes. Um, after Jesus blasts off and those angels, remember, came down and said, what are you guys looking at? He's not coming back right now. Go away. After that, Luke gives us a word, and he says, then. A very powerful word, then. It's the first word he gives us, and it's a word that prefaces what happens next to something. 
And so there's no reason for me to look at this passage and think that they really did anything else but, but between Jesus and then. There, he doesn't document anything else. He says, then, and here's what he says. They went home, and they went upstairs, and they prayed together, all of them, for a long time. They went, and they started waiting. What were they waiting on? You've got to know this by now, right? What were they waiting on? He was going to send somebody, so they said, let's go wait. All right, they just waited on deliver, and when God asks people to wait, sometimes it goes great for the waiters, um, for the waitees, waiters. Noah, uh, you can write down Genesis chapter 6 and 7 if you're unfamiliar with the story of Noah. Um, God said, Noah, I'm starting over. I'm going to flood the earth, and you're going to be my go-to guy. Build this boat. No, it's not raining. Do it for the next 120 years. Build this boat. It's huge. And then I'm going to send the rain and floods, and you're going to be on it. You're going to be safe, and you're going to start over. Noah waited. Like 120 years, he built a boat when it didn't rain, and everybody made fun of him. It went well for him. Sometimes it goes really bad. The best bad example of the wait in the Bible I could think of was in Exodus 32 and the golden calf. And if you're uh, not familiar with that story, you can, look, you can look over it later, Exodus 32. Uh, when Moses was leading the Hebrews and God had just not too long ago freed them from slavery in Egypt, and they get to this mountain and Moses is like, y'all wait here, I'm going up, I'm going to talk to God, and that's when God ultimately gives him the Ten Commandments. We all know the Ten Commandments are everywhere. And so while he's doing that, all the people are like, man, Moses been up there a long time. He probably forgot about us. What do we do? And then, of course, if you thought your leader wasn't coming back, you would, of course, take all the gold jewelry that you had and make an animal and worship it and weird stuff like that, right? Of course, that's what we would do. So that's what they did when they were asked to wait on Moses. Sometimes it goes great. Sometimes it goes bad. You probably all, all of us can probably think of instances where people in our lives have been asked to wait by God, to wait on him, and it's either gone really well, and they have waited out, and they have fought that battle, and then God has delivered something great, or some of them might have given up on Jesus as they couldn't take the weight. If I asked you to raise your hand, you probably, everybody in here would, would probably raise two hands because you know multiple people who have been in both of those boats. And here's what I think that the difference is in the two, the waiting successfully on God and the waiting that fails on God. Active waiting versus passive waiting. Active waiting versus passive waiting. And yeah, there is a difference in how we wait. We can wait on something passively by just sitting and not doing anything and not accomplishing anything and just saying, it's going to come, I'm, I'm just going to check out. All right? We can just sit down and wait on, it to ha wait on good things to come our way. Or we could wait actively, and by actively waiting, passionately pursue God through prayer, spiritual disciplines, serving others as the Bible's called us to do. You see the difference there in passively waiting and actively waiting? Think like relationships. If There's a big difference in actively waiting for a relationship to develop and passively waiting for a relationship to develop. Like, 
when Jennifer and I started dating in high school, well, I was, a, I was a senior in high school, and she was a freshman in college, which is pretty cool, right? How many of you guys dated a college chick in high school? Um, when we started dating, like, I had to wait on relationship to happen. Like, I didn't just walk up and be like, we're going out, because that would have been weird and creepy, and it probably wouldn't work. But I had to pursue the relationship actively while I waited, I couldn't just passively sit down on a stool and be like, I don't wear watches, I don't know. Um, it's going to happen sooner or later. She's going to come ask me out. That, that doesn't work. You see the difference? We're both waiting, but one is going to be successful and one is not. Well, Jesus said, go and wait to his followers. And what they did is they waited actively. He did his little keynote address because he did things like Apple does because the product is going to be phenomenal. So he did his keynote address, and it ended, and he left, and then they walked home. Five miles, by the way, like, it, just in case you're curious. It was like a five-mile journey to get back. They walked five miles home, they went upstairs, and they prayed together like crazy, waiting on Jesus. Luke words things really carefully in Acts. Um, like a lot of the words, and you know, we're not going to go into that this morning, but a lot of the words that he uses and phrases that he uses, and if you got the expanded notes, I kind of gave you a, a sample of that. He really, there were, there were hidden meanings, and there were things deeper than surface level that Luke was trying to convey um, when he wrote the book of Acts. This isn't one of them. This is pretty clear right here. So let me break this down a, as we go. He says, they all, meaning all of them, joined together, meaning not by themselves or off in a huddle in the corner, constantly, meaning nonstop, see where I'm going with this? It's breaking it down, in prayer, not brainstorming, creative thinking mode. Let's put it all together. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That's how they waited. So we could just kind of look at that and be like, that's a great example to us. We need to pray more um, as the church and as the body, as we wait on God to do things in our life. We could, we could kind of like nod at that and pass along, but I think that we would be crazy. Um, and I think that we need to personally follow in their footsteps this morning because we are the church just the same as they were the church, right? And 120 of them, which is on, aver on an average week, is roughly what we've got here. This is 120 of them gathered, <laughs> gathering, together and prayed. So why don't we do the same in this room this morning? Um, here, I will go ahead and acknowledge it will be kind of uncomfortable because we're not used to praying a whole lot as the, the American church. So yes, this probably will be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to kind of lead us through some time of prayer and some specific things. You can just stay where you are and pray. Pray what comes on your heart. Pray what you are struggling waiting on God in. What you are struggling feeling like you're ready to give up on the wait. And I'm going to put some things up on the screen. You go ahead and pull that slide up. If you get stuck and you're just zoned me out, which is probably a good thing if you could just tune me out and tune in to God, and you get stuck, here's some things that you could be praying through as we wait on the Lord together. Real practical things, like maybe you're waiting 
on a job, on employment, on your children to turn their lives around, on wisdom for something, on your health to improve, on a marriage that is rocky, that you need help, or a marriage that you're hoping will come someday and you'll have a spouse. Maybe the, the, the gatherings, um, future plans. Maybe you want to pray for us as a church, salvation of a loved one. Lots of different things that we wait actively on Him. So, can we just do that right now? It's going to be a little uncomfortable, I know. But just stay with us. And if you don't, if church is not really your thing and you don't do this, you're definitely not going to be used to it. But just give it a shot. And just kind of naturally talk to the Lord this morning. And I'll kind of lead us through that. Is that cool? So do I need to ask heads to bow? Like, be real churchy about it? Um, let's take a moment. We're going to step kind of outside of this sermon and this morning and connect with God as one body. They all join together constantly in prayer. So let's just do that. So go ahead and start praying. I'm going to lead you guys through some. And so, Father, this morning we thank you for hearing our prayers to you. And I pray that you would teach us to wait on you. And that you would break us of a culture that says, right now, give me now, it's for me, it's all about me, do now, 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 I want, I want, I want, that's what our culture says, that's not what the Bible says, and I pray that you would get us back to that, and that you would develop in us a heart that is willing to wait on you and what you're going to do next, and is willing to pursue you in the meantime even if it's 120 years of building a boat before we see the need for it. God, we love you and thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being in this room this morning, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Still with me? I didn't lose anybody, right? Is there anybody that you need to tap beside of you that fell asleep? That was like less than 20 minutes. You guys did a great job. I appreciate you sticking that out with us. I understand we're not used to that. We're not used to praying together in long periods of time. And I know, like, I get getting kind of lost in prayer. I've got the worst mind in the world. I'm so lose focus so quickly. Like, I could be praying maybe for you and... Then I'll stop and think, and I'm like reliving an episode of 24 like six years ago. And it's really weird, and I'll stop and I'll say, how did I get to that? This is really weird, and I don't understand how it happened. So I get that, that focus is really hard, but I think it's because we've got to retrain ourselves as a culture, as a church, to do this. And to wait on him and to pray together. So there are probably going to be times I think we need to get together and just do that. And gather together in a room and pray, because... What the disciples did, Jesus left, and they came, on, they came to this room, and they did this for days on end without stopping. And Paul's going to show us the result of that next week. But we're not done yet. Is that okay? Okay. Do you need to stretch?
You need more coffee? Do you hate me? Number two, the blank is, are you willing to trust in God? And let's, we'll move kind of quick through this. Are you willing to trust in God? We told you they waited. They also trusted. Here's how they trusted. I'm going to read through Acts 1, verse 15, through the rest of the chapter. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120. And he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. Yeah, that Judas. Who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. And if you want to mark down in your notes, if you're unfamiliar with what exactly went on with Judas, you can write down John 26 and go look at it later. That's where the story of where Judas betrayed Jesus and the whole thing kind of pans out. John 26. Uh, let's see. He served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Verse 18, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open. Wow. And all his intestines spilled out. Don't tell me the Bible's boring. You ever seen an animal get hit on the side of the road that gets real bloated and you poke it with a stick? Okay, that's the image. That's what happened right there. Moving on. Verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is the field of blood. All right, leaving that image behind. Verse 24, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. May another take his place of leadership. Verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us in his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. And then they prayed again, gosh, all the praying. Lord, you know, everything's, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over his apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Wow. Okay, really quickly. There was twelve of them. One down. One needs to come in and replace. They wanted the twelfth back, so they're praying through who needs to take Judas's place. Because, and here's why, here's why this was really, really important to them, and Paul hit on it last week, they literally thought Jesus was going to come back in a couple days, and the 12 of them were going to like literally be rulers of the entire earth. So they were like, he can't come back and there's one of us missing, or he can't come back and we put the wrong guy in, and it'd just be this other guy, kind of like a Judas, and something bad happened. So they, they literally thought he was coming back in a couple days, and they needed to have Judas replaced. So this was really, really, really important for them, Okay. So here's the process that, that, that they went to replace him. There was a prerequisite that you, you heard me read. The man to replace needed to be with Jesus from the very start, from his baptism up until the time he left and went into heaven. Okay? So somebody that didn't come in later into the, into the fold was there from the start. Um, and then the second part of the process, they prayed more. They, they prayed further after praying days on end. They prayed that God's wisdom would make the decision, not theirs. And then the third part is they put the weight of the decision on God. And here's the key to it. They put it on God and not themselves. 
And as Americans, we have a hard time doing that. We're really good at saying, in God we trust. But we're pretty awful at practicing that. Peter and the church said, God, we picked these two because they, we think they fit best. But now we want you to make the right call. And they trusted fully. They put their words into action. They trusted fully that the decision, which I told you how important it was, they trusted the decision would be ultimately the correct decision made by God. All right. So we got to, like, here's where I'm struggling. Because the way they made their decision was really weird. Okay? It was very strange. They cast lots. Okay? It sounds like they gambled for the next apostle, which is just weird to me. Like, I don't have, a, I don't have trouble with a whole lot in the Bible, but I've really struggled with this looking over this the past week, it's really kind of confusing. I mean, I think pretty much what happened is they said, these two, pick a straw. And that seems really strange, and that's not normative for our culture and, not, and the way we look and trust in God, right? But that's literally pretty much what they did. I don't know if they prayed over the straws or... I don't know. I, I don't really get how it happened, or if they were flipping a coin or what. But they stepped back and said... We think one of these two men. Now, God, we trust you to pick the right one. We're going to take it off of our shoulders. We're going to put it into your hands. And whoever draws the short straw, I mean, maybe that would be the long straw because you don't want, I don't know. Whoever draws that one, we believe that you are big enough, powerful enough, that that's the man that you desire to be. And they did it. And it fell on Matthias. And... That seems kind of strange, right? We can all agree on that. I get it. It seems very weird to me. That's how they did it. And if you got the whole entire outline, I'm talking a little bit in there about just the history of casting lots in the Bible. It's in there a lot. A lot. It's in there a, a, a ton of times. And it's also interesting to note that voting really isn't. Sorry. I mean, it's kind of counter-Christian, American countercultural. They do a lot of what they just did, picking the disciple, and they don't do voting. They do a lot of just trusting the Lord and not asking all of the people to make decisions on little minute things. Sorry, it's just the Bible. To be honest, I'm not 100% sure what to do with this part. I don't really know. I'm not sure that I'm ready to tell you to go get the dice out of a game at home and, like, shoot craps and, and whatever it rolls on. Like, that's where you go to college. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to tell you that. Um, or like flip a coin, heads, um, we have our baby in this hospital, tails, we have it in this one, in Jesus' name. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I'm ready to say that. I don't know, but, so I'm not going to, but it's kind of strange, yes. Here's what I, I'm 100% confident about, is that I, I really believe that God wants us to start proving to him that we trust him. That he wants us to prove we trust him. Um, have you ever done a trust fall? Of course you've done a trust fall. Like you have to in some point in your life. Eugene, come here. This is my dear friend in the Lord, Eugene. And he's he's kind of strong, so that's why I picked him. Um, like, turn around, come here. Come here. Come here. All right, I'm... Um, all right, so a couple years back when I was on full-time staff at another church, I took a few students to Scotland, uh, Jennifer and I did, 
and we like, I did the king of trust falls, okay? Like, you know, a trust fall is like, I trust you, I'm going to fall backwards, and he's going to catch me. You thought I was really going to do it. And so we got over there, and we, the first thing we did when we got to Scotland, when we had to do these um, team building exercises, and we didn't just do that. They like made me get up on a table and then stand up in the chair that was on top of the table in this little hardwood floored room. And I had to fall off of that sucker back into the arms of people like I brought with me, like little teenage girls and the king of all trust falls, okay? And I didn't like doing it, and I'm, I don't think some people went through with it, but, like, you get the trust fall. So if I stood right here and... So if I did right here... Stop myself. Did you? But now you believe if we did it again, I would really fall, right? Okay. Thank you, Eugene. Have a seat. Everybody give Eugene. Yeah. Um, so the trust fall is like the perfect example for this. And here's why. And, and hear this because we're really almost done, I promise. Um, the person doing, here, listen very, very carefully. The person doing the catching is never going to believe you trust him until you actually fall. The one doing the catching will never believe you really trust him until you actually fall. The person doing the falling is never going to believe you're actually trustworthy until you catch him. You want me to say that again? The person doing the catching is never going to believe you trust him until you actually fall. And the person doing the falling is never going to believe you're actually trustworthy until you catch him. Write this down, James 2, verses 14 through 26. James 2, verses 14 through 26. The scripture for this, faith without works is dead. You've heard it, right? And it can be kind of confusing, but it's, it's, the, it's God saying, don't just tell me you believe. Don't just tell me you trust. Prove it to me. Prove it to me. Literally, I want you to literally fall. Don't just say, if I fell, I believe you would trust. Literally, fall on my arms. You won't prove to God that you honestly trust him with your whatever, with your finances, with your family, with your children, with your job, with your ministry, with whatever that's going 100 miles now in your head right now, do I really trust him? You won't prove that you really trust him until you take your hands off of it and you let go of it. So, you know, the kind of question to kind of wrap up this morning is, are you really ready to trust him in it? That thing that you're dealing with, are you really, really ready to trust? They were ready to trust. That was the biggest thing that the disciples were facing right that moment. We've got to get the right man. We trust you, and we're going to put our words into action. Do you really, really trust in what he said? A, a scripture, two scriptures to write down that I want, I need you to go look at later um, throughout the week is Luke 12, <clears throat> Luke 12, verse 22 through 31. And I won't read the whole thing, but it's the scripture that basically says that's, that's Jesus saying, God feeds the birds. Why are you worried about what you're going to eat? God closed the flowers, and then they die a week later. Why are you going to worry about what you've got, what you're wearing? Verse 
31 or verse 30 right there. He says, all these things that the world seeks, your father knows you need these things. You're not like surprising him. The things that you need to trust in him, you're not surprising him with it. He already knows. And then he says, but your father knows you need these things. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Jesus says, take your hands off of those and let him take care of it. And he will. Another one I want you to jot down real quick is, is the previous chapter, Luke 11, verse 9 through 13. And I will read you that one, Luke 11, 9 through 13. You can look at it later. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll be, you will find this is Jesus speaking. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Who, who seeks, finds. Him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, right? Right? Has your kid ever asked you for something to eat and you gave him a snake? Ha ha! a snake. Like, you don't do that, right? Or if any of your kid asks you for an egg, which is really weird. Hey, Daddy, can I have an egg? Um, would you give him a rock as a father? No. Like, not even a really lame father would say, here's a rock, eat that. And that's what Jesus says. The next thing he says is, well, you're evil, and you wouldn't do that, so how much more is God going to take care of it because he's your heavenly father? So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning, is to just let go. The big idea at the very beginning I said was, and then I never addressed it, was learning to wait on and trust in God is excruciatingly fantastic. Learning to wait on and trust in God is excruciatingly fantastic. We acknowledge it's really, really hard. And I've had to wait and trust, and Jennifer and I are still waiting and trusting on things in the Lord, and it's really, really hard. Some might call it excruciatingly painful. I get that. I'm sorry. That's not like real seeker-friendly, like come-to-Jesus kind of thing. I know. It's very painful to wait and to trust but the end result is fantastic, and fantastic doesn't even begin to describe it. When, he, when you see him it pan out and him come through, it's amazing. But you can't get to that point unless you just let go. Like, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's just kind of where I'm at. We need you to let go this morning. And so I think maybe it would be a great time for us to, to pray through some more before we get out of here. For God to help you wait on him in that thing, those things in your mind, to trust in him about those things in your mind, he says he'll provide if you'll stop trying to provide for yourself. It's going to be painful, but the reward is great. I want to read you one more scripture. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord God goes with you. He will never, everybody say never, Say it just like that. Never. He will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong. Be courageous. Because you can, because he's the only one that will never fail. And that's awesome. We can put our trust and faith in him as a leader. Not in government. Not in 
any men or women around us who are always going to fail at some point, but in a God that created the universe who you know will never fail, and you can take your hands off. Um, can I just lead us in a time of prayer? Is that cool? I know it's been a long morning, and it's been kind of a weird morning um, at times, but I would just like to invite you to put feet to your words, the words that say, God, I trust you. The feet are missing, maybe, for you that say, I don't really trust you because I'm still doing it on my own. Jobs, finances, family, health, um, your future, the future of a lot of different things, decisions that you've got to make. I want you to, to, lo- to loosen your grip on it this morning, and I want you to pray that God would help you trust, okay? If you can't think of anything else, pray specifically for that thing. Pray, God, help me trust you. Is that cool? We take a moment just to pray. Why don't you pray with me?